And God has a word for us today. Hopefully you had a relaxing and thankful Thanksgiving. And uh, we did the same. And I just uh, am incredibly thankful. Uh, that morning I just wanted to give the Lord thanks and praise and spend some time with Him. And I believe that God still has a plan. I was thankful just for personal things, but I'm also thankful you know, for what that day was originally conceived as. I'm so thankful for this nation. I'm so, still so thankful for what it is, even though the enemy is trying to take away what God has given us here. I'm still very, very, very thankful for what we are today. Uh, there still is hope in this nation. There's still hope now, isn't there? And I want the Lord actually just to have his way today. I believe the Lord's going to fill us with that hope. I just want to just read some things. Actually, I have a, a lot of scripture that I want to read today, so I'm going to move quickly with it, and we'll put it on the screen uh, when the time is right. But uh, I just want you to uh, give yourselves fully to the Lord. God's creation is an expression of himself. I just want you to say that out loud. God's creation is an expression of himself. You know, everything that God made is perfect. There is no such thing as imperfect. I love that I, I read a, a report one time. These scientists went out and they mapped out the imperfections of the coastline and, and they put those imperfections into a computer program and turned, you know, the, basically the ins and outs became ups and downs of musical notes. And when they played it out, it became this beautiful music. All the imperfections, you know, the what seems like randomness of our coast became a beautiful sound. And there is no such thing as uh, wasted. There is no such thing as lost. Isn't God amazing? Isn't even his creation amazing? Everything that dies produces life. There is nothing on the earth that doesn't, when it dies, unless it's man-made, right? Unless man had something to do with it. But anything that God made, when it dies, it just produces more life. So his creation is expression of himself, and his creation, including us, his people, are meant to contain the glory of God and reflect the glory of God. I tried to preach some of this a couple weeks ago, and uh, I got kind of caught up in, in one facet of it, that there's a balance between uh, our relationship with God and the reflection of that relationship. And I kind of stayed there, and I want to move uh, out, out from that to the reflecting. I want to move out from that balance. We must have that balance. We must spend the time with the Lord. We must first focus on Him. As I began to say two weeks ago, uh, Jesus didn't try to be Jesus. He spent time with the Father. He knew who He was in the Father and let the Holy Spirit have His way in Him, even though He was the Son of God. And in that unity and in that, uh, in that stability and that balance, there was a balanced relationship there. Then the reflection and the expression of God came out of him. Jesus didn't have to try to be Jesus. He just was because he had it right. His relationship was right and his position was right. So we know that. I don't have time because I want to say some things. I want to encourage you today to go over that again. But you must know that that is the key, that there is no reflection without first the 
internal working. His light shines in our heart, right? That's what the word says. The morning star, the light shines in your heart. So the expression of God outside of us must be his light and not ours and not mixed with flesh. So we must let him work in us. But God wants to shine out of you. Say, God wants to shine out of me. In fact, uh, we don't know exactly how it happened. We don't know the exact story. Some people think they've got it figured out 100%. I don't think the word is clear about, about exactly how it happened. But in some way, shape, or form, Satan's original job was actually just that, to reflect God's glory. In fact, the name Lucifer means basically a light reflector, a bearer of light to reflect the light. And um, it's interesting that uh, the sun shines on the moon. The moon is a reflection for the sun, right? And in, in fact, Satan is the god of the night. The Lord is the god of the day, right? We're children of the day, not of the night. You can get into the whole study. And that Satan uh, is the reflection. The moon reflects, right? The moon is the night, the god of the night, and so on. So, But somewhere his fall happened. He messed up what God had made him. God, the Bible says he was perfect and beautiful, and God had adorned him with gems, and, and, he was, uh, and he was without pride, and then pride came in. And God, and I think this is, could be why he got so angry, why he came into the garden and didn't like Adam and Eve here, because God made man in his image and put his glory inside of him. You know, when the Bible says that we became living, the only thing different between us than animals, we became living beings, is not just that we existed or that we had blood running through our body, but that his spirit was within us. And Satan tried to come and steal that away, tried to mess it up. Jesus restored it to us. Jesus, through his blood, through the purchasing power of the blood that he paid a price for uh, us and, and canceled out uh, the devil's curse canceled out that separation, and God restored back that place that he wanted all along, which is that, that heaven and earth are one, that there is unity, that as on, on the earth, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so God is actually uh, looking to shine his glory out from us. That's who he does it through. He does it through us. Um, creation kind of can't help it. I love the scriptures, and I love that the, <laughs> that the verses say this. It says, uh, and there's so many. I had so many of them, but for sake of time. Uh, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. And they speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world, God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. And so uh, creation can't even help it. Creation shines God's glory. The, the, the skies, the stars, uh, you know, even the whole animal kingdom, uh, the whole uh, ecosystem, the way that it works so perfectly, all displays God's perfection and his glory. And even the imperfections and all the things that, 
you know, even even with man messing things up, you know, with temperatures, is it hot, is it cold, global warming, global cooling, they can't seem to, to figure out which it is. We're not going to go there. But some sort of mess up that man's putting in and all, the, you know, and, and all this stuff. And yet, it all works so perfectly, just right below the surface. You know, we're trying to save the whales and we're trying to save the wolf and we're trying to save, you know, the predator you know, because they're, they got wiped out, and then we're trying to save the prey, and then every time that we get involved, you realize we mess it up. We just need to let it be perfect on its own, and just let it be, and God has made it perfect, and so his creation is perfect, and his, his system, his way is perfect, and uh, the Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 1 that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. Everybody, I want you to say that word, everything. Through Christ, God created everything. Through Christ, everything was made in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, and rulers, and authorities in the unseen world, and everything was created through him and for him. So, the visible creation and the system that God made is perfect, and it all points back to how good God is and how amazing he is and how wise he is and how, how could you possibly know? I mean, I just, I can't, I keep going on, but how could you know? I mean, the stars have these cycles of, we don't even, we can't even possibly fathom of millions or billions of years uh, they, that they, they all cycle and nothing collides with us. Maybe one day to fulfill revelation, but nothing has collided with us. We just, we're, everything is working so perfectly. It all shines his glory. And then it says something interesting here in Colossians that all of it was created through him, for him, and including, including, Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. So creation shines his glory, and even the unseen, it was made through him. We know that. I think, you know, you are a believer. You know it's made for him, uh, through him, but it's interesting to stop and to think it was made for him. That all of it is working together, and I, I bring this up so often, and it's what I'm really going to preach on today but it's such an important fact to really get and to constantly remember that Satan thought that he had defeated God when he put his son on the cross. And that even Jesus' closest disciples lost all hope and had gone back to fishing and thought, that's it, it's done, now what? Now what? Satan thought he won, disciples and certainly, you know, the Romans and the Jews who put him on the cross thought, it's over, it's done, it's finished. Jesus said it's finished, but when he said it's finished, it was a different type of finished than the devil thought and the world thought, wasn't it? 
and that God had a plan, but it was outside of our understanding, and that the imperfections of envy, the imperfections of jealousy and pride that all rose up in the people of that time, including Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples, these imperfections, God used that imperfection like a beautiful grain of sand inside of a clam to make a pearl of great price. Isn't that amazing? That God knew that Satan was going to try to destroy his creation from before time began and always had a plan. He let him, it seemed like for a moment, win, doesn't it? If, this, if you gave someone the gospel and you didn't give them the last chapters there of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then it would appear as if Jesus was a prophet like the world will sometimes acknowledge. Maybe he was a good man like the world will sometimes acknowledge or like the Quran says he's a good man. The Buddhist says he's a good man. He's a prophet, but he was not the son of God. Without the end of the story, then maybe there'd be some interesting things and some things we could learn from him, but it changes the story, doesn't it? But God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's, Jeannie said it last week, it must be said again, it ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. And I feel like I want to preach this sermon today with two sides. One, you can apply today's sermon to pretty much anything you'll ever go through in your life because God is faithful, God has a plan. And I also want to talk about the exact time we're in in history, that this exact moment in history. I don't know. Even John, the one whom he loved, he's standing there at the cross, and he gives this special thing to him and to Mary, Jesus' mother, some sort of like, you're going to take care of each other. But even still, with this beautiful moment and this special relationship that they have with Jesus, their understanding was still shielded from the full, full, full picture that Jesus was about to rise again and to fully bring in the kingdom of God that he had promised. So even in the closest relationship that you could have with God and in your intimate prayer times and you're like lord show me and lord i want to be with you and i want to be close to you and i want to know you and all this understanding comes and all these prophets are all tapping into pieces of understanding and everybody thinks they've got it all figured out but it's really uh it's not that god is held back but there's a bigger picture that your mind can't even understand that he's got a plan and he's working things out and the enemy is intertwined into it and they don't even know it. Every time that they think, well, this will be it. Now we'll finally stop him. This will be what brings down God. And all it does is further the kingdom of God. In fact, throughout history, you know what war and famine and disease and even communism and socialism does? Causes the gospel to increase. Every time that the devil increases, God's kingdom increases we don't wish those things in those times but it can't help it the devil's trying to mess things up and god uses those imperfections to further his kingdom amen 
God's got a plan and it's good. And everything is for his glory. There's so many verses, even we read in Revelation this past week, that even in heaven they sing blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne of the Lamb forever. It's all for his glory. Everything is for his glory. We get to experience this amazing relationship with him because God's so multifaceted. It's like when I talk about what it's all about, what is your life about, and who you are, and one sermon could seem like it contradicts another about who we are, but it's because God is so multifaceted and so are we that it's really all about our relationship with him. But then the purposes of us on the earth in this time is to reflect his glory. It's to shine his glory. Ultimately, when this time is gone and this earth is gone, there will be uh, that intimacy will still be there that's there. That's why that's the most important thing. But the you shining his glory, there will be no darkness. There is no sadness. There is no hunger. There is no fear. There is no worry. In fact, there's... There's not, not only is there not darkness, it says there's not even a shadow. Try to understand that. But in this time that you're in, the relationship will last forever, but there's a specific purpose for this time, and that is to reflect God's kingdom and God's light on the earth right now. Your life might end in a way or time or age that you don't, mentally understand but if you did that then you fulfilled your purpose on the earth period period no matter what anyone says or judges etc that's it period because at that point the intimacy that you have in him is going on and on and on forever and ever and ever and there's not anything else you can do we don't need to waste time doing flesh and doing things and God gives us time to do fleshly things, but we don't want to do those things for the Lord as if it's gaining some sort of eternal favor or promise or that's building our mansion in heaven because it's not. That's a mouthful. Hopefully you get that. I want to quickly get into some word here, some more word for sake of time. And the Lord has just put this, this word in my spirit, and I've been just kind of wrestling with it because I know where we're at, and I know what God wants to do, and uh, God will not be mocked. I want you to say that out loud. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap, period. Eventually, God will get his glory. This is what I was just meditating on. God will get his glory due from everyone and everything on earth and in the heavens, in the seen and in the unseen. God will be glorified. And there may be an unknown in the meantime. There's even pain and suffering, confusion and battles. We seem to have, we seem to lose sometimes more than we're winning but it's, that's precisely when we must trust in the Lord and know that he is faithful. He has a plan. It's greater than my life. It's bigger than the present situations. He is outside of time. So when he does what he will do, it's in the perfect way and perfect timing of the Lord. Period. Man, I'm filled with faith already. 
It says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, I love this verse, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display. Everybody say the word display. God's using his church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We already read in Colossians that he's using it all. It's all for him. They think they have some freedom, just like, you know, we think we have freedom. Isn't it funny? We think we have freedom. (laughs) God is so good. He's so kind. He's so merciful. I was just thanking the Lord during worship for his mercy. You know, because so many of the things that have gone on in history and in the world and rulers have had times. You know, their, their times always come to an end, those evil tyrants throughout history. One way or the other, it's come, they come to an end. And it's only God's grace. We just don't understand because they're allowed to do so many evil things in the time. But it's actually his grace in between, his love for humanity that they even have time. It's just beyond our, our, we can't even fathom. I think if we were all God, we would end things a lot quicker, but then there'd be no one left on the earth. Because by the time you get through it, who is good, like Jesus said? Right? You deal with this one. Well, then I got to deal with this one. I got to deal with this one. I got to deal with this one. Well, they're not allowed to live. Well, they're thinking it in their heart. That's the same thing. Before you know it, there's no one left. It's God's grace that even evil things have been allowed to happen on the earth. And that's just beyond my, I just can't even understand. But he knows what he's doing, and he, he'll bring his glory. He brings people to his knees, and he brings those to repentance through it all. Through it all. Those who will repent have repented, and those who will not will be judged. Period. Period. And it says in Ephesians 3, verse 11, that this was his eternal plan. Isn't that amazing that the, uh, even the unseen that he's using, it was all part of his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't this amazing? I want you just to fathom this. Just think about this for a minute. So they wait for Jesus the Messiah to come. Finally, finally, after the thousands of years of prophecy, there's Jesus. He's on the cross, and he breathes his last breath. And when he does, the earthquake breaks apart religion. It breaks apart the skull that it's placed into, right? The mountain, it rumbles and shakes and hells gates are broken free and the chains are broken free and he comes back and encourages his disciples and he says now go into all the world and preach the gospel jesus returns to heaven and then they proceed to have more persecution than we've ever seen on the earth everybody was with me nodding your heads with hope until the last part israel's destroyed rome burned just burns it down enough of this place israel enough just burns it down. People are scattered once and for all. And what you couldn't see happening in the natural, the world couldn't see it, was that the gospel was spreading from city to city 
to city. And the more the pressure and the more the squeezing, Jesus, when he said his finish and when he gave us victory on that cross, he meant it. But if you looked with your human eyes, I know we talk about this a lot, and, and it maybe didn't make sense until like the time that we're coming into in this time in, in our lives and in this nation where you must not judge with your human eyes, but you must judge with eyes of the Spirit and ears of the Spirit. Because if you looked at that time with your human eyes and listened to what was being said and done with your human ears, you would hear the screams of those being burned as martyrs. You would see everything you knew and everything you loved being burned up and dying. And yet God was winning and God was having his way. And what we don't understand, but the scriptures say it, is if you will suffer with me, you will share in my glory. It's outside of our understanding. I want you to know something today from deep, 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 deep within you. God has an eternal plan. And it is never, ever, ever, ever going to be fully understood by your human mind. No, it doesn't matter how much we understand, we're never going to fully understand it. And that's why we have faith. Faith will not be needed in heaven. But that's why we have faith. Our faith cleaves to God and says, I believe him anyway. And if you look at every single patriarch throughout the word, their lives were shrouded in mystery and an unknown and in weird situations that forced them to either give up on God or trust in God. And some did give up on him. That's so sad. And some, as they became great, they became known in the hall of faith that they gave their lives even unto death if that's what it required, but they kept trusting God no matter what. I'm encouraged today. I'm filled with faith today. The Bible says in the book of Exodus, I want you to quickly look with me here. I want to read something, but there's so much pre, so much lead up. I don't know how to get it all into these next minutes. But the Bible says in the book of Exodus chapter 14, let me just read the verse first that I want to get to so that if I don't get to anything else, then so be it. But it says in Exodus chapter 14, it says in verse 17, it says, my great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. It says, all Egypt when my glory is displayed through them, which is the world, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. I believe what God is doing, and this is what he does in a person's life. If you just go through the book of Exodus and you go through the story, if you look at it as an allegory, we have some very interesting things. We have, if you just kind of go through it, you go to all the way to chapter 5, you find that there's a struggle. You know, that they are, that the enemy has put them into a struggle. That they have to make the bricks, and 
if there's any faith at all, the hint of faith, right? You have a little bit of faith. The devil just makes it harder, doesn't he? It says that, that there was some faith. Moses gave the people some faith. So Satan said to them, Pharaoh, fine, you got to make the same amount of bricks, and now you have to go with the straw yourselves. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 5 that the foremen, they come out to Moses, and he sa they say, you have put a sword into their hands and an excuse to kill us. There's a struggle, and the enemy wants to keep you bound, and he wants to keep you working this earth and in this earth and in this system as long as he possibly can. And if you push against this, how many times have you heard it, right? You have experienced it and you have heard it. Where someone says, I tried God, but as soon as I tried God, it got harder. Every time I give myself a little bit more to the Lord, I, I focus on his church more, his kingdom more. I spend time, more time in the word. I spend more time in prayer. I spend time caring about my family and praying for them. More stuff happens. More things happen. More pressure happens. And so I decided just to stop fighting it and him and the thing I, the, un, the unseen, they don't realize it's Satan behind them, but because it's easier. Because then at least we, can, we don't have time, but we, you can hear their, their voices. The scriptures say that their complaints were this later on, that Pharaoh, as long as they worked and as long as they did what they were told, even though they were beaten and even though they were slaved, they had food every day. They were given a, they were given a quota every day. They were given a portion, and he took care of them. Pharaoh took care of them as long as they did what they were told to do, and they had what they needed, including cucumbers, right? We've joked about this before. <laughs> they complained to Moses about cucumbers later, but they complained about meat. We had meat. We had everything we needed as long as we stayed slaves. And so in Exodus 5, then... Uh, Moses says to the Lord, ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he's been more brutal to your people, and you've done nothing to rescue them. And this is what I want to read. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. There's a struggle, and then there's the promise. I want you to say that out loud. There's a struggle, but there's a promise. You can apply this to a situation. You can apply this to your entire life as if it's, you know, one journey from beginning to end, or you can apply it to where we're at right now in history. The enemy is trying to enhance the struggle and make the struggle worse than it is. It's already a struggle. It's already slavery. So he's trying to make you just submit to the struggle and just be part of it. Just give up. You don't, it's not worth the fight. It's harder. I'm just tired of fighting. I don't want to fight anymore. I just want to just live my life, even if it's a slave and in bondage. And throughout their story, this is such an interesting story. We just don't have time for it. This would be something you would take weeks to kind of unravel with in a Bible study setting, 
But these people, and they're not so far removed from humanity today, they just want to be enslaved. They really just want Egypt. I mean, we're going, well, they go all the way into the wilderness. We didn't even touch the plagues yet, touch the promise. We're going to hopefully look at it for just a moment. But the Red Sea splits apart. God leads them. God does all these things, leads them by a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, and does all these amazing things. And all the way out there in the wilderness with all these miracles and all these signs and wonders, they're still talking about going back to Egypt because it's easier. It's just easier to be enslaved, but then I don't have to worry about anything. I'll just be a slave, and, and, and if I just submit to, to this world and just, you know, I don't want to be too much of a Christian because if I'm too much of a Christian, it's just hard and it's irritating. I'd rather just kind of fly under the radar and be beaten a little bit, but I just submit to the system and I'll get through. And so it says here that God says a promise in Exodus 6. He says, I'm going to deal with this Pharaoh. And I believe that the Lord is saying today that the Lord is going to deal with the Pharaohs. Because you also have to see that Pharaoh, and I looked at Colossians quickly and Ephesians quickly, that the Bible says, New Testament, that even the unseen rulers were made for him. And we, you know, it's hard to, people have messed it up, and it's, I can't even touch it. Romans 11 starts to talk about Pharaoh a little bit, how God used him. And I don't even want to go there, because there's all kinds of theologies and teachings. But God used Pharaoh for his purpose. Pharaoh in himself assumed that he had power and that he was God. In fact, the Israelites respected Pharaoh as their leader because he had human power over them. And the Egyptians, of course, respected him. And yet, the Bible says that God is over Pharaoh, but Pharaoh just doesn't know it yet in Exodus chapter 6. Everybody, I want you to say that out loud. Pharaoh just doesn't know it yet. When Satan is oppressing your life, or Satan is trying to destroy your family, or destroy your finances, destroy your, your children, or whatever it is, or Satan's trying to destroy your nation, you need to know that God is above, and that even the rulers and the kingdoms, and all of it is working together for His purpose. You cannot judge by the very moment you're in. In fact, and this is so hard for my human mind to comprehend, but it's 430 years of crying out to God before he's answering their prayer. But he answered their prayer. But if you are trapped in time and you're trapped in this human body, that's where the devil wants to get us trapped here and just get you focused on this life and focused on just paying your dues, and then you can finally retire for maybe a little bit of time and gets you, that's what he wants this world to think all that it is. That's all that it is. If you think that, it'll look like God abandoned you and took 430 years to answer our prayers. But if you look outside of time and you look at God as ruler over the universe and that time is irrelevant and that your life is Really, it's not that he doesn't care about you, but you are not this body sitting here. You are inside of a shell. And that you is eternal, but your body is temporal. 
If you can just try to think like that, then suddenly you can look from a different perspective and you see God's grand plan and you are just excited to be part of it. You're just excited to be one that paved the way. Because, you know, for Moses to be able to come 430 years later and talk to the people somewhere along the way, a grandparent shared with their grandchildren and shared with their grandchildren and shared with their grandchildren, one day God's going to rescue us somehow, some way. And somehow that seed was still inside them to listen to Moses when he came. And that is just as important, even though the person didn't get to see it with their human eyes, as it is for the person that walked out of Egypt. I know that's a kind of a side note, but I just want you to understand God's faithfulness and his plan and his purpose, and it's so much bigger and greater than we understand. And it's outside of even 2020. It's bigger. It's, it's thousands of years long and thousands of years strong, and he is making something come to a culmination. But this is a fact, and this is why I just believe his word. Satan will bow his knee to the name of Jesus. That's a fact. So will every single entity, every ruler. That is the seen and the unseen. They may be forced down, but I promise you, because my word says it, they will bow their knee. They just don't know it yet. They're thinking, I still can work it out. There's still a way we can, all we have to do is just get our bodies into a computer program and I can, you know, and I can be God to a people that are eternal. You know, Satan's, you know, people are thinking these ways right now. I'll just, you know, we'll just make eternal bodies. We'll just clone ourselves into endless bodies and one way or the other so that Satan and this people can just subvert God and be God without God. And it's all going to crash down. All of it is going to come crumbling down before them. There is only one God. And so he says here, and God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. You can be sure that I've heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? I just hear the heart of the Lord. I've heard their groans, and I'm well aware of my covenant with them. I've heard their groans, and I'm well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I want you to say this out loud, the promise. God has given us a promise. God has given us a promise. I want you to say that out loud. God has given us a promise. There's a word from the Lord that the Lord is promising that he's going to free us from slavery. The Lord's going to free us from this oppression. That's his word. That's his word for this hour. And Exodus chapter 6, verse 9 says, Moses told the people of Israel had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Isn't that such a sad verse? It says, Exodus 6, 9, he told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, and they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. So it says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So he tells them again in Exodus chapter 7. Now what happens here is God doesn't answer his promise. Exodus chapter 7, God doesn't answer the promise. 
but he promised, and then he reminded them of the promise, and now things turn and go the unexpected into the unknown, just like it has and does in every time in history. Go through your word, go through your history, look at God's promise, and look at the path it took. Right? I love Washington's story and appeal to heaven. Right? I just heard the other day, and it was a, a, a minister encouraging us about the American Revolution. It did not look like the Americans were going to win. We were not in the position to beat this elite military force that, was, that had, you know, had everything at their disposal. and Everything and anything they needed and very well trained. And we're just a bunch of chumps over here. And we're going to defeat this elite military force. But God had a plan. Washington made an appeal to God. And God, God made a way. I call this the in-between. In the meantime. Because what happens here in Egypt is there are ten plagues. Which is time. You're looking, well, God, yeah, well, God, we're reading it like we just flipped the page. We know what happens at the end anyway. So I'm like, oh, well, wow, look what God did. Look what God did. You living in that are like, what is going on? Maybe you said that to God like I have in this season. God, what is going on? That's how I, that's the exact way I said it to him. Lord, what is going on? He says in Exodus 11, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh in the land of Egypt with one more blow. And after that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. And so we go into Exodus 12. We know what happens. That's where the Bible says that God comes in. He begins to judge the land. Come on, and, and we know that that's what God is about to do. You can feel it in your bones. This is not just like another time in history God is going to judge the world. In fact, he's already begun judging the world. If you don't want to talk about judgment, then we don't want to talk about the word of God. It's part of the word of God. In fact, God's judgment from the word is much harsher than the church usually lets on. God kills all their firstborn sons and all their first, firstborn of their animals. But it says that there was blood on their doorpost, and it was a sign that they were covered. And it's amazing, and I love that I'm following Jeannie's sermon last week because I had no intention of even seeing the correlation. And then as I started to pull it all together, I said, wow, Lord, this was meant to be. There is a blood right now. Right now is a moment where we must hold on to the Lord and hold on to his promise and know there's nothing you can do right now except this one thing, stay under his blood. Keep pleading that blood of Jesus. Because God is, there is a plan that is so much bigger and so beyond us. I, I just, I, I can't try to tell you what that is. That's the whole point of today's sermon. It's so much bigger and outside of my understanding. But I know this. I know that as God is moving and doing, that he is watching over his church. He is watching over his people. And that if we stay under his blood like he told them to, that there was protection for them and the judgment passed them over. And the Bible says that that night, that night 600,000 men plus all the women and children, on that very day, they left Egypt. They were ordered leave. 
And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 13 that he leads them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, which is so amazing because it was a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, right? When the Holy Spirit fell, he came as the cloud, right? Came as, as the fire, right? This is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and he's doing what Jesus says that the Holy Spirit does, which he's guiding them. And so they have the Holy Spirit, he's guiding them, and then this is what happens. You know, in a, in a great story, you guys with me just for a few more minutes. We're coming to the culmination here of this story. In a great story, any great story, there's a part in the story, they call it the turn. Everybody say the turn. This is the moment where the story was going a particular direction, and then, you know, to create some, to make that story exciting and interesting, there's a turn. This is where things went from, you know, from 5 to 10. Because suddenly the story takes a turn that no one expected, or maybe you were anticipating in some way, shape, or form, but it's beyond what you expected because it says that the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, order the Israelites, the NLT puts this phrase in, to turn back, and it's because what he actually has them do, if you look at the map of where they were and where they now are going to, is they actually, he has instructs them to turn back. And I want you to camp by Pi-Hariath, something, in between Migdal and the sea, and camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. I want you to say this out loud because I, I want to know that you believe me. God is in control. God has a plan. So when God, you don't have to repeat this, tells us what to do if we trust him and if he has a plan and we know that, then what's about to happen next, God is also aware of and has a plan. Many times we trust God, and again, when we read through these guys' story, this is not the end of their story. We could just go through the Bible. I'll just go from here right to the end of Revelation, and what you're going to find is people that trust God and then don't trust God. Trust God, and then their faith is, is, is weakened. Then their faith is increased, and then it's weakened. And that's just because we have an enemy and we live in the human body. But the Bible says that, it says in verse 3, then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. And so just for sake of time, because I'm not going to read the whole chapter, they're trapped here in this position. Pharaoh thinks, I've got them trapped. What are they doing against the Red Sea? They've got nowhere to go. God's people have nowhere to go. So the Bible says that Pharaoh harnesses up his chariots and he calls his troops. He took his best. And the Bible says that in verse 8, that the Lord hardened the heart of of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. And this is just the strangest thing for us to comprehend, but God actually hardened his heart. I mean, we, as Christians, we know this. this is like the ABCs of the Bible, right? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But it's something interesting to think about. You know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? God never changes. People think that Old Testament, you know, there was like this magical line, and then God became like a different God. He's still the same God. 
Thank God that the curse of religion, that the curses of going through works and motions that try to create a sacrifice that was holy enough is gone. That part changed because Jesus took its place, but God is still God. You know that it's possible that God could still harden a leader's heart today so that God can get a greater glory and greater victory. God can still use an enemy, even people in your life. Do you know the times that I've had this, I've experienced this, the times that I've had to fight with people in my life? You know what it does to me? Is it causes anger and hatred and bitterness and all these things to bubble up, which it does for everybody in the entire world that's being human. But then as a Christian, what do we do with that? Now I've recognized, wow. I didn't even know you had to boy, you had to get me hot enough to realize that those things I didn't think they were still in me, but they're in me. And now if we deal with them now, not only am I a better person, you find yourself praying for that person and loving that person that was the was the cause of the very hatred that the devil wanted to trap you in. But God uses it to now pray for them. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And I just believe right now that God is doing something supernatural. God's up to something supernatural. There is a hardness like I have never experienced in my life, and it's like God has allowed it, almost like God has instigated the hardness to, because it's so hard. Is it possible that that's where we're at? Because God wants to get some glory here, get some victory. God used to be the God of this nation. We used to say, in God we trust. It took God out of everything. Everything and anything that was, it's offensive, right? You know, I heard, here this person submitting and wearing the mask, and this little girl had a mask, and I don't know if it said Jesus loves you or something Christian, and she was ordered to take the mask off. That's where we're at. Here she is wearing the thing. That's a whole other battle, right? But because it says a message that they don't agree with, you're not submitting in the way we want you to submit. But it says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked. And when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, this is verse 10, they cried out to the Lord. It's always about the same thing, which is this, that no matter what is happening, we must put our faith in God and trust in him and cry out to him. Because things get harder sometimes before they get better. And in fact, the greatest victories are always because the battle was the fiercest and, and the worst and the hardest. But the Bible says, they cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. You know, I believe that a lot of people and this is so sad, but I think a lot of Christians would rather live in a socialist communist nation and be alive than die. Imagine we brought back some of our forefathers that says, give me liberty or give me death. Imagine them hearing us talk like that for the price that they paid for the freedoms that we have. Hear us talk like that. 
I know it's a harsh reality, but it's such a true reality. And it's a stepping stone. As I've been saying, we need to know this. The slavery that he wants will refuse you to worship. Because what was the whole thing here? We don't have time to go into the scriptures. You know the story, though. Let's go and worship the Lord. The slavery was to keep them from worshiping the Lord. Ultimately, that's what the slavery will do. Socialism, communism, the slavery the devil wants is to keep you from having what is worship. What is it, really? Just boil it down. It's that intimate relationship with the Lord and the freedom and the peace and the joy and the hope and the way that he wants. Now, there was an existence, but it was not the existence that God wanted for them, was it? But this is what he says. He says, don't be afraid, Moses says, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. We must hold on to this right now. I really, really, really believe that the Lord has given us this word. Two weeks ago, I tried to gather up my thoughts on this word, and I just could not do it. I don't know if it just wasn't for the day or the devil tried to stop it, or I don't know, but I know that I'm sharing it today. It says, the Egyptians you see today will never be seen again because the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And then the Lord said to Moses, tells him, pick up your staff. They open up the sea. And then verse 17, we get down to the whole point of this whole sermon. It says that my glory will be displayed. And verse 18, my glory is going to be displayed. Not just, God doesn't just want to show evil people that he's God. That's not the point. The Bible says, I'm going to use Satan, and I'm going to use the evil of this day. And yes, there is a bowing. They're going to know I'm God. But the Bible says there's a greater victory, much greater than evil understanding who God is. It says all Egypt. Do you know who Egypt really is? Egypt, you can go through your whole Bible. I mean, it is 100% a direct correlation. When we talk about Egypt, we talk about world, worldliness, the world, the world system, the world. And Pharaoh was that ruler of the world, even that serpent on his, on his head, right? Satan ruling this world system. The world will see. When God deals with evil, when God deals with it, yes, they will know, but there is a, there is a understanding that, the people of this earth, the people of this nation, when God does what he is about to do, will know that God is God. It's not the evil. It's those in confusion, those trapped under that system that we need to see their eyes opened. A sudden awakening. They will see what God does in this hour. And as we know what happens, they go through on dry ground. And the Bible says, it says that, just before dawn, the Lord looked down, and he sees the Egyptian army. They're trying to pursue, and it says that he threw them into confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, and he made their chariots difficult to drive. And then they say this, and I love this, because it says they say, in verse 25, the Egyptians shouted, the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt which is such an ironic statement for them to say because in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh says to Moses, who is the Lord? 
And why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And all the way over here in chapter 14, the Egyptians shout, the Lord. Suddenly they know who the Lord is. Suddenly they do know who he is because he's shown himself to them, and he's fighting for them against Egypt. What an amazing answer. What an amazing answer to prayer. Amazing answer that God gave those people that cried out to him. And that is what he is going to do for us. It's what he's going to do. You have a situation in your life. Like I said, you can make this sermon about any situation you are dealing with in your life. There is a Pharaoh that's trying to keep you bound, that thing trapped inside you, and the Lord wants to release you and free you, and you must hold on. It doesn't mean that it's going to be instant, and it gets worse before it gets better, but God's got an answer. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. I thank you for this word. I pray you just seal it into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that all those listening on the podcast, Lord, that you'd encourage them. And I pray, God, that we would be filled with faith this day and look to you again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.